Okay, tonight's Bible reading comes from Matthew 21 to 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a... You know, I didn't know that word. For the day he sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw the others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about... About noon, about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others hang, standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to, said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. I don't know. So when those who came were hired first, they expected to, to receive more, but, they, but each one of them also received. When, when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a generous... Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same, of I, same as I gave, to you, gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money, or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Thank you, Alexandria. She, she did well, didn't she? Denarius, you got it, I think you just about got it. Or denarii, there you go, I didn't even know. Denarius. About a penny, I think it would have been. Good evening, everyone. Yes, well, as I said before, Pastor Charlie would be normally, I think, no, Pastor Darrell, I'm not sure whether Darrell or one of them was supposed to be doing this message, but here we are. And from what I gather, the evening service, you're going through a number of topics. Is that correct? Topical? Rightio. So when I heard that, I was, when I was asked to, if I'd take the message... Lord, what would you want me to speak about? Well, I felt prompted to talk about this particular topic. <clears throat> and it's this. Is God always fair? For whatever reason, that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. And uh, I'm sure that God has his purpose in us discussing a topic like this. Before we do, let's just pray because we need his help, don't we? Both to preach it and to listen. Father, thank you already for the precious time that we've enjoyed with you. And uh, we thank you again for this opportunity that uh, we have to be able to share together around your word, to open up the scripture. Thank you for Alexandra being able to read it to us and, uh, and for us to listen and, and to engage with your scripture. And We pray that your spirit now will help us to um, unpack this, uh, this, these uh, truths that are contained within this parable 
And uh, Lord, to talk about this topic and perhaps answer some questions tonight, I might even raise more. But we thank you for your being in the midst of us and that you'll be our teacher tonight. And we commit ourselves and submit ourselves into your hands now in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Well, I can still remember, happened a few years ago now, but it was, it's still very vivid to me. Um, I can remember doing a training session. I was a reserve army chaplain back then at Canungra. was there for about six years and uh, built up a, a terrific relationship with a lot of the soldiers out there. And uh, because I worked in the Land Warfare Centre, um, we, the Padres had to deliver a particular session to the sergeant's courses, and there are other courses as well. And this particular session that we had to deliver uh, had to do with uh, talking about different belief systems and worldviews. That was the topic, so we needed to deliver that particular session. And I can remember... After I'd given a brief overview of Christianity, uh, there was one young soldier, about 80 guys in this big auditorium, and uh, one young soldier, courageous young guy, um, just after I'd been, been explaining something about Christianity, he stood up, put his hand up, and he stood up, and he said, words to this effect, he said, do you mean to say, Padre, that a person can be really bad all their lives and then ask Jesus to forgive them right at the end, and he does? And I'm sort of going, wow, what a question. And I'm kind of bowled over by this thing. And what, an, what, a, what a fantastic. And while I'm sort of a bit overwhelmed with that, I didn't get a chance to answer because he answered his own question. He basically said in a kind of a, an indignant, in a voice, a tone of indignation, he says, that's not fair. And uh, I just, yeah, was kind of blown away by that. And sadly, well, God's sovereign, isn't he? I never got an opportunity to actually talk to him further about that comment that he'd made. He was there for a certain course, certain time. I delivered a lecture. It touched this guy in such a way. He was obviously wrestling with a lot of issues in his life and, and uh, including, I think, including the concept of being saved by grace through faith rather than by your own efforts and by what you could contribute. And in his eyes... If he kept doing the right thing as he would describe the right thing and he was good, you know, and upright and all the rest, tried to keep the Ten Commandments, as people say to you, right to the end of his life, then probably, he probably felt, well, justified. God ought to see that and take it, on, you know, take it into account. But what about this daggy bloke who does all the wrong things? He's a criminal all of his life and at the last hour, perhaps just before he dies or something on his deathbed, he says, Jesus, I'm sorry for all the sins that I've done. And Jesus forgives him. Well, he was wrestling with that. And he said, that's just not fair. How many times have you and I heard that comment? How many times, honestly, have you and I said those very words? It's just not fair. And no doubt it's even been addressed to God. If I'm honest with you, I've said that to God. There was a time, particularly a very painful time in Rose and I's life, when we lost our grandson at birth. And uh, it's the, the, the whole story was that we saw our, our, grand, our, our daughter-in-law, so my son's wife, we were overseas, and we Skyped them. It was only a few days before that, and she's showing her pregnant stomach, and she's kind of dancing around, and we're laughing and saying, oh, this is fantastic, and so on. And then only a few days later, they rang up and said, we've lost the baby. And uh, there was a whole lot of stuff that happened. I haven't got time to talk about that now. But God just did some amazing things and got us back home. 
But I can remember saying, God, this is just not fair. In our grief, we say things like that, and you know what? It's okay to say that. And then God works with you through that. And you know, and there are so many other things. I'm sure you're here tonight, and, and uh, you could probably think of things that uh, in your own mind, you say, that's just not fair. So many unfair things happen. Why do some suffer more than others? Why do, why do some have more than others? Goodness me, how many more questions we could ask. And it's incredible when you really think about it. We start making these kinds of judgments so early, even as children, in our lives, don't we? Hey, she's got more than I have. That's not fair. Or why did you give her that? Or why did they go, that's not fair, we'd say. Have you said that? I don't think we too many that haven't. <laughs> Sounds familiar, doesn't it? So that's a question I want us to have a bit of a think about tonight. Is God always fair in everything that he does? Abraham certainly wrestled with that question. Speaking about Sodom and Gomorrah, he says to God in Genesis chapter 18, verses 24 to 25, he says, will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. And then he says, will not the judge of all the earth do right? And you can sense in Abraham, God, come on, this isn't fair. In other words, he was saying, will you not act fairly in this situation? And in this parable here in Matthew chapter 20, which is the only parable, uh, sorry, this, only, this one only parable that's recorded in Matthew's gospel, this particular parable has close ties with the end of the 19th chapter, just to put a bit of context around this here. And it's in reference to Peter's question as to how, how it should be for those who, like himself, had left everything to follow Christ. Lord, haven't we done this? Haven't we left on it to follow you, he would say. And so Jesus teaches by this parable that while they would be richly rewarded, those who left everything to follow him, a certain fairness and a certain impartiality would also apply to those who were newer or later converts and workers who would also come into his service. But is that fair? And that was the question raised by the workers who were hired first in the landowner's vineyard and when they received their pay for the day's work, they also saw that those who had only been employed for an hour, who only worked for an hour, received the same pay as they did. And they weren't happy with this unfair arrangement. And their complaint brings that out. Verse 11 of Matthew chapter 20. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour they said and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day now look at verse 13 but he answered one of them friend I'm not being unfair to you unfair who's been treated unfairly one of the things that I struggle with 
when I'm driving? Is it when you come to two lanes of traffic and it merges into one? And you know it merges into one, so you've got into that inside lane way up and you've just taken your time, you've been patient, you've waited because you didn't want to cut in on anybody, so you've just kind of been patient, chugging along, as you do. But not everybody sees the world as you do. Just to that point, when you're taking your time and being patient and so on, along comes Hot Rod Harriet and burns up alongside you and tries to squeeze in in front of you. And you've been in that queue for some time. And she hasn't. She's been this, you know, I'm coming in whether you like it or not sort of thing. And she tries to squeeze in in front of you. And you find that urge to, to kind of put your foot on the accelerator, kind of close the gap a little bit. But then someone further up decides to let Hot Rod Harriet in. And you feel annoyed. Why? Well, because it's unfair. Why should she come in at the last minute when you've had to take your time and be in that queue? Why should she have all the benefits of something that's almost immediate when you have had to wait and earn your place in the queue? Yeah? Been there? I can see smiles, so you have. And in a similar way, this was the complaint that these workers who had worked all day bear the burden of it all and the heat and so on and this was the complaint they had with the landowner forgiving these new arrivals who came in the cool of the day only worked an hour and they got the same reward as they did who'd been there for the whole day that's unfair i want to suggest tonight that there are at least three things that this parable teaches us about coming to terms with this whole question about god's fairness and trust that God will unpack this for us as we look at this tonight. So firstly, three things. I haven't got a PowerPoint, sorry about that. It was pretty quick, so we didn't do that. But I'll try and make the points clear. Firstly, this is the first point I want to make. In Christ, we are all workers together in his vineyard or in his kingdom. In Christ, we are all workers together in his kingdom. Though we have begun at different times, yep, and some as late as the 11th hour, which meant only one work, one hour of work remained for that day. The 11th hour, that one hour, we can, we can sort of translate that into somebody who is on their deathbed. How many times have you? Perhaps, you, I don't know whether you have or haven't, but I've had the privilege, I guess, in pastoral ministry over the, over the number of years, to sit beside someone in hospital who is dying. And to ask them, to ask Jesus to come into their lives. And because families have been praying for these people for years. I can think of one lady now. Her name was Elsie. Shut down her daughters every time they tried to raise the things of Christ with her. She got terminal cancer. They introduced me to her. I shared the gospel with her. She actually asked questions. It was just absolutely amazing. And she gave her heart to Jesus. And it was only three weeks after that that I did a funeral. But what an incredible transformation that came to that woman's life when she asked Jesus to come into her life. The 11th hour. And she's with the Lord now. And she walked the same road as those who'd been travelling in that journey with Jesus for years. She came in at the 11th hour and God welcomed her into her kingdom. Into his kingdom. You see, the thing that truly matters as we think about this fairness question, the thing that really matters or truly matters is that we are in his kingdom. 
We're all together in this kingdom of his. It's his vineyard. And I don't know if you've picked this up, but how amazing this is, is that in that Jesus came looking for us. He came looking for these labourers. He chose them to be his labourers. Kind of reminds me of that verse uh, in John chapter 15 and verse 16 where Jesus said, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, fruit that would last. How awesome is that? You didn't choose the Lord. He chose you first and appointed you. You see, back in biblical times, the marketplace was where you went if you wanted employment. So you'd take your tools of trade and your equipment and then you'd wait for someone to come to offer you work. So you'd go there with all your gear ready to go and you waited until someone came to employ you. And if no one came, well, you might just choose to stay there and wait until you were asked. And it might be at the 11th hour, it might be that one hour left in the day. But you'd wait, you're ready. And again, I don't, you know, how, how amazing. How amazing is the grace that's in the Lord Jesus Christ? How amazing that Jesus came into the marketplace of your life, into the marketplace of our lives, and he chose us, and he accepted us to be his co-workers. Good to ponder those kinds of things. It kind of brings you to a place where you humbly have to accept the fact, Jesus, you know, I had nothing. You're everything. I was lost until you found me. I was dead until you made me alive. I was blind until you gave me sight. Jesus, you did it all. You came and found me. You chose me. And I thank you for giving me a heart that responded and said, Yes, Lord, I'm yours and you're mine. But how important, as we look at this, this whole concept, how important it is that, that we accept each other in Christ and work alongside each other in the work that God has given us each to do in his vineyard. Get into the work of God. God's word reminds us in Galatians 3.28, For you are all one in Christ Jesus. I like what Warren Wearsby says. He gives some really good counsel here. He says this. Beware of the danger of watching other workers and measuring yourself by them. It's interesting. Pastor Darrell spoke about comparing ourselves with each other this morning. Let me just read that again. It's really important. I'll say it slowly because I want you to sort of... I want you to really soak this in. Beware of the danger of watching other workers and measuring yourself by them. He quotes a scripture from 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Judge nothing before the time, Paul warns in 1 Corinthians 4, 5. He goes on, he says this, we see the worker and the work, but God sees the heart. Again, we see outwardly, but God sees inside. God sees the heart. We need to be about his work. Not looking at him or her. 
Not wondering about fairness and unfairness, etc., but getting on with the job that God's called you to do. Looking only under Him, not judging others. Being able to accept each other as equals in Christ. Again, if I can use another army illustration, when I first became a chaplain, from day one, I felt that I was the new kid on the block. And one of the most noticeable experiences or notable experiences that I had was that I found acceptance by these other senior experienced chaplains. Some of them had been deployed overseas, they'd been in the thick of all kinds of things, been chaplains for many years, full time, full time some of them. And I felt like a boy scout amongst warriors. You know that feeling? That's how I felt. But, I, but it was a silly feeling to have because I, they never made me feel like that. I never felt that I was at the lower end of the pecking order or was treated unfairly by my colleagues. I was an equal with them. How humbling that is. How amazing. It was such a positive influence to be in. And obviously, that was my experience then. But obviously, it doesn't mean everybody has an experience like that. You may be struggling where you are at the moment. But is it a question of God's fairness or should, it, or should we simply be glad that he has accepted us? I am accepted. You are accepted in Christ as one of his workers in his kingdom. He's called you. He's chosen you. He's appointed you. Yes, you. Good perspective to have. Focus on that. Secondly, we need to be devoted, a bit like the first one, I guess. We need to be devoted, faithful and committed to the work that God has given us to do. You see, these workers in the parable here, they were doing well while they were occupied doing what they were employed to do. There, was, there, there is no complaint made by the landowner. There's no need for any reprimand or to sack anyone. The workers all seem to be highly motivated and committed to what they were called to do. I think he would have been a great landowner to work for. I wonder then, I wonder if these workers truly appreciated the kind of landowner that they were really serving and working for. Hey, I wonder if we always do. Do we always appreciate? Who are you really working for? Who are you really serving? Whatever job you're doing, who are you really serving? I think sometimes it's good for us as God's people to realise afresh that in whatever capacity of our labour, be it in the workplace, be it at home, be it in the church, be it at school, be it at uni, we are in fact serving the King of glory. Not the landowner, not the boss. As a Christian, you're serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Did you know that? We need to be reminded about that sometimes, particularly when we start feeling a bit, hey, this is not fair. Or we start to grumble about other things. Listen to what Paul says to the Colossian believers in chapter 3, verse 23. He says, whatever you do, this is powerful words, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, 
not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ that you are serving. And it's good to be reminded of those things, don't you think? We all need that reminder. And I believe that when we allow these truths, God's truth to really penetrate and soak into our hearts, it really does do an attitude adjustment. (laughs) Even to make our attitude to be more like that of Christ. Where in Philippians we're told, have the same attitude as Christ. And as we do, as we long for that, as we say, God, I want your attitude because mine sucks at the moment. I need your attitude. Make me more like Christ. Which in turn then helps to give a new perspective on this whole question related to God's fairness or unfairness in our lives. Thirdly, when it comes to the reward system, we need to leave that to the landowner we need to leave that to the one who's employed us we need to leave that to the one who's called us chosen us appointed us the reward system is it going to be fair going to be unfair leave that with him our responsibility is to be faithful with what god has called us to do and to faithfully use the talents the abilities the gifts that he has equipped us with i'm talking to you as a believer for his service I want you to notice, for example, how the master rewards his servants in the parable of the talents. Just take note of these words. So important. Matthew 25, 21. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. Let me read it again. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Interestingly, I didn't hear the master in his reward. I didn't hear him reward his servants with the word like this. Well done, good and strong and healthy and clever and good looking servant. I didn't hear him say any of those words. I heard him say something to all the servants that came and who were rewarded by him. Well done. Say it with me. Good and? Yeah, faithful. Servant. So are you faithful with what God's given you to do? He doesn't want you to be clever. He'll give you the cleverness. I sometimes pray, Lord, make me effective. Well, I'm kind of challenged about that. Does God want us to be effective? Yeah, he does. But he will make you effective. If you're faithful, then I believe that he will make you effective. Because that's the reward at the end. Good and faithful. Not good and effective. Clever. Resourceful. It's faithful. Be faithful with what God's given you to do and he will equip you. It's like that verse that says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you, which will be things like you being effective, being clever, being equipped. He will equip you with every good thing for doing his will.
And also, you know, as we've, I think as we've already seen, it's not our business who or when or how God is going to reward his people for the things that they do. And I think that becomes quite clear in this parable as well, this vineyard parable. Because after the that's not fair kind of comment, or complaint I should say, the landowner, the landowner who is a picture of Christ, I'm sure you picked that up in this parable, he says this, look at verse 13 of chapter 20, Matthew. But he answered one of them and said, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? <clears throat> and just in those three verses there, <clears throat> I want you to notice there are, two, there are two important points that I think are worth considering. And not necessarily easy to accept. I think this can be hard medicine for us at times. Firstly, it's this. I'll answer it straight out. Firstly, God is never unfair. Verse 13 in the parable, look at this. I think we can see that by this verse. But he answered one of them, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. God is never unfair. It's interesting, one of the synonyms for the word fair is just. Should we be using the word just? Well, fair, because I think that's the word that we use often. That's not fair. He's not fair. She's not fair. That's not fair. Whatever. But one of the synonyms, you look at the thesaurus, you'll see one of those synonyms is actually the word just. And God is just. God is just. In the Song of, in the song of Moses, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, we read these words about God. Look at this. This is Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. Powerful words. He is the rock. His ways are perfect and all his ways are just. His works are perfect and all, all, not some, most, majority. No, it's all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. Isn't that a song we sing? And even in Job, listen to this, Job 34, 18 to 19. Is he not the one who shows no partiality to princes and does not favour the rich over the poor? For are they, for they are all the work of his hands. He's not a God who shows partiality. Not a God who favours one above the other, the rich over the poor. We are all the works of his hands. And you know, my dear friends tonight, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what circumstances look like from our point of view, God the creator... Of all things, who is perfect in all his ways, perfect in all his works, perfect in holiness, perfect in righteousness and justice, dear friends, is never unfair. 
the judge of all the earth will always, always, always do right. And when we struggle with that, guess who has the problem? Really? He is just. He's right. He's always fair. So when we think, God, you're being unfair, guess who has that problem and needs to work it out with him? The first thing, secondly, just in those few verses, secondly, we see this, that God has the right. This is going to be hard to swallow for some of us. God has the right to do whatever he likes with whomever he likes. And when you get right down to it, you and I don't have a lot of leverage to call, it, to call him to account. Verse 15. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? This is a hard one. It's tough, isn't it? You've been made by God. He owns you. We're all in his hands. Yes, he's a God of love. He's a God of care. But ultimately, he's in charge. And on a similar note, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the church in Rome, he said some hard things to them as well. Listen to what he said. Romans chapter 9, verse 20 to 21. But who are you? But who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Why is life so unfair? That's my adding a bit to that. Why did you make me like this? Verse 21. Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? Sometimes for us, it is a hard lesson to accept in this life. And with our very limited, finite human understanding that God exercises his sovereign freedom and his dealings with human beings. He has the right to do that. We cannot begin to really comprehend how the mind of God works. But we try to. And so we judge God. And we call him unfair. Because in our limited understanding, how on earth can we ever know the mind of a God who is infinite? I guess that's why we're called to walk by faith and not by sight. I guess that's why the, the Proverbs tell us that, that to lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Our understanding is so limited. But can I also remind us of some beautiful things that God does to encourage his people? Look at the life of the Apostle Paul. Look what he says towards the end of his life. Listen to what he says. Be encouraged by this too. This is 2 Timothy 4, 7 to 8. He says this, Paul says this, getting to the close of his life, he says, I have fought the good fight. He says, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And look at verse 8. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all 
who have longed for his appearing. Isn't that fantastic? Hey, do you feel encouraged by that? Is God fair? Is he unfair at times? Do I need to have a bit of a rethink and spend a bit more time walking with him on this journey, even when it's painful? Lord, what are you saying to me in this? What do you want me to learn in this situation? Let me close with this story. True story. As far as I know, it's a true story. Some of you folks are going to relate this very well. Gary, I think you will. Bless your brother. Listen to this. An old missionary, and I don't mean to call you old brother. An old missionary couple had been working in Africa for years and were returning to New York to retire. They had no pension. Their health was broken. They were defeated, discouraged and afraid. They discovered that they were booked on the same ship as President Teddy Roosevelt, who was returning from one of his big game hunting expeditions. No one paid any attention to them. They watched the fanfare that accompanied the president's entourage with passengers trying to catch a glimpse of the great man. As the ship moved across the ocean, the old missionary said to his wife, something is wrong. Why should we have given our lives in faithful service for God in Africa all these many years and have had no one care a thing about us? Here, this man comes back from a hunting trip and everybody makes much over him, but nobody gives two hoots about us. Dear, says his wife, dear, you shouldn't feel that way, his wife said. I can't help it. It doesn't seem right. When the ship docked in New York, a band was waiting to greet the president. The mayor and other dignitaries were there. The papers were full of the president's arrival. But no one noticed this missionary couple. And I asked the question right there. I put a little pause on that and I say, where was the church? Where was their missionary committee? Where were the home welcoming people from their church? <clears throat> they slipped off the ship and found a cheap flat on the east side hoping the next day to see what they could do to make a living in the city that night the man's spirit broke he said to his wife I can't take this God is not treating us fairly his wife replied why don't you go into the bedroom and tell that to the Lord? A short time later, he came out from the bedroom, but now his face was completely different. His wife asked, Dear, what happened? The Lord settled it with me, he said. I told him how bitter I was that the president should receive this tremendous homecoming when no one met us as we returned home. And when I finished, it seemed as though the Lord put his hand on my shoulder and simply said, but you're not home yet. So my precious brothers and sisters here tonight, I want to close with that thought that whenever you're tempted to question God about his fairness to you, 
is fairness to the circumstances that you might be, the fairness to loved ones and family, whatever. Whenever you're tempted to question God about his fairness, we need to remember, but we're not home yet. We're not home yet. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the amazing God that you are. You... And we want to be honest, Lord, with you. You want us to be. You know, the psalmist is. There's times he can be quite depressed in what he sees and how he sees life and what he might call fair or just. He sees big holes in that, Lord. And sometimes, Lord, if we're honest, we do in our own lives and circumstances. Help us, we pray. Lord, just help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the one who is the author, the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. Help us to start from the platform, Lord, that you are a holy God, that all your ways are perfect, your ways are just. We need to stand on that foundation. We need to meet you. We need to embrace you. We need to press into you. And we need to ask you and plead you walk with us, Lord, in this journey. Walk through us in this valley that we might be going through. And you've promised to be there with us. Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death even, you've promised I'll be, you'll be with us. We'll fear no evil because you're with us. Your rod and your staff comfort us. Lord, 23rd Psalm, magnificent. So grow us, Lord. Mature us, grow us. Help us to rest in you. Oh, Lord, help us to wait upon the Lord. Your word tells us those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll rise up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary, walk and not faint. So bless you, Lord. Thank you for these words that you've just given us to perhaps just cause us to stir a bit more in our hearts. And, and Lord, the stirring, just to draw us nearer to yourself. Help us to run to you, not away from you, when things are going tough, when we question your fairness in our life. We bless you. I just want to pray for my precious brothers and sisters here tonight. You minister to them, Lord. Do beautiful things in their lives, with their lives. Give them peace, joy, fulfillment, a settledness in their hearts. We thank you for that time together tonight. We commit each other to you for the rest of this evening and into the week ahead. Thank you that you go ahead of us and you'll be with us because you promise you will be. And we rest in that. In Jesus' precious name, amen.